All right, if you have a Bible, hope you do, and you want to open it up, please get with me. Uh, let's go Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, and uh, read the passage there. We're going to pull in some other stories, some other places from Scripture to think through this idea, but we're doing a series right now called The Gospel for Real Life, and we're thinking about how the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done affects everything. It changes the way that we work, as we talked about last week. Today, we're going to talk about the, the way in which the gospel can inform how we rest, how we take a break from work. And, and uh, we'll continue on in this series, and we'll look at other things that are hopefully practical and helpful, but we're just thinking through how Christianity, or the good news of the gospel, informs our very lives. Let me read. I'm going to start in verse 30. I'll go just to verse 36. We'll pray, and then we'll get to work. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he, Jesus, said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Let's stop there and let's pray. Lord, we ask right now as we're opening your word that you, by your spirit, through that word, would speak to each of us. And Lord, we're grateful for the way that you care for us, that you look at us in our entirety and you see the need for spiritual things, you, need this, you see the need for physical things, and you care about all of it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this time to teach and instruct our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing to note here is that we are built with a need for rest. It's the way that God built us. We are a people who have physical bodies and physical limitations, and that's okay. We need to be a people who recognize that God has built us to work and to rest, and that's a rhythm that goes all the way back to the very first pages of the Bible that God created, and he calls it work, and he did that for six days, but on the seventh day, he rested, and then he instituted that as an ongoing practice both for humanity and creation, but God has made us for rest. And one of the things that I note in our society is that we probably need to up the ante when it comes to the discipleship of Christians around the topic of both work and rest. Now, we need to be a people who recognize that God has built us to take breaks. And that, that is not the goal, though. That is not the end game. It is not you know, like we're going after resting and work doesn't matter. No, no, no. Rest comes after the work. So this is not an excuse to just be lazy individuals who are like, yeah, I don't like to work and the Bible says I should rest. And so I'm going to take that very seriously and never really get on to the, the business of work. No, the reality is we're called to rest in light of our work. Look at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. In other words, it's like a it's like a, a, a standing meeting with their leader, and they're going, look at everything that we've been up to. They've been working. 
They've been engaged in significant ministry, and in light of that, the Lord invites them to come away with him and to experience rest. But the work needs to come first. We need to be a people who say, like we talked about last week, everything that we do, we work as unto the Lord. And we work with diligence, and we work with excellence, and we exhaust ourselves in God's service as we go about our work. Now, this is a consistent teaching throughout the Bible where we believers are called to work and work very hard. There was a church in the first century, and they were very big on the idea of the Lord's return. They were excited about it. It was kind of a key feature of their culture, and so they were talking about it, and they were thinking about it, and they were asking questions about it. But there was a group of people in this church in Thessalonica, and they were so excited about the Lord's return and so confident that it was going to happen that they thought to themselves, I'm not going to work this week. Jesus could come back. And I don't want to be caught just kind of, you know, biding my time doing my job. I'd rather him show up and I'd be doing something like praying or leading a Bible study or whatever. And Paul had to write to that church two different letters, and it comes up in both letters where he says, listen, I know that some of you guys are very super spiritual and some of you guys are excited about the Lord's return, but you're missing the point of what God wants you to do in the meantime. You shouldn't just be sitting around not working. You ought to be working really, really, really hard. You ought to clock in and go to your job and do significant work. In fact, he reminds them of his own practice when he was launching the church. He was working night and day. He and his ministry team were nonstop so that they could provide for their own needs. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, and we'll put it up on the screen here, this is how he makes it into a principle. He says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. You might think that you're being super spiritual and you know, doing your own devotions all day long and not clocking into work, and then you know, you're excited about the Lord returning and all those different things. But then what he's recognizing is people are going, hey, I've been so concerned with the Lord's return that I didn't have time to get groceries and I don't have any resources to do that. And they'd have to lean on other people. Paul says, listen, if you're not going to work, you don't get to eat. So, so we're talking about rest, but we're talking about rest in relationship to very, very hard work. Uh, I grew up on a tree farm. I'm familiar with hard work. I've, I, I know what it looks like when people are not working also. But Christians need to be a people who are willing to spend themselves, who are willing to kind of share everything that we have done and taught, and then the Lord speaks into our need. Look at it in verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they, the disciples, did not even have a chance to eat, the Lord said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. See, he looks at the disciples and he recognizes that they have been so engaged in ministry and so crowded with people that they've not even taken time to eat. And his, his assessment then in that moment is, this is not good. I mean, it's significant. Your work is significant, and this is important, but there's something else that needs to happen as well. You need to be recharged, and he invites them away with himself to a quiet place to get some rest. So, so the Lord looks at us, and he goes, okay, I want you to work really hard, but I also want you to rest well. Christians should be a people who are willing to say, if I'm not working, it's okay. God is still in charge. Right? It might feel like if you, know, if you don't show up to work and if you don't do everything and if you don't coach everyone on your team, you might think, well, our, our whole company is going to fall apart, but the Lord is trying to teach us, no, 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 you're not that indispensable. 
You can go to sleep, and I'll take care of things. So we need to learn to be a people who rest. The Lord cares about the fact that we are physically embodied people, and we need to eat healthy and rest well. Now, this is not a one-off teaching or a proof text from Mark chapter 6. It's a consistent teaching in the Bible that we are a people who need to rest. And so let me share uh, an Old Testament account with you, and I'm going to tell kind of the background story so that you can see and feel the weightiness of how exhausted this individual might have been. In 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a prophet named Elijah. And in the previous chapters, in in, uh, chapters 18 and and prior to that even, he uh, actually got into a conflict with false prophets, uh, prophets of Baal, another god who's not really a god. And there were 450 of them, and he was this lone ranger prophet who was representing the true God. And he challenged them and he said, look, let's get together and let's have a challenge because the people are thinking they could follow my God or they could follow your God. And I need them to know that's not even a choice. They have to make a decision between one or the other. And there was this conflict that happened there and he challenged the prophets and he was successful. He went up against 450 prophets of, of Baal and he was victorious over them. Then it immediately goes to the next part of the story, and he's uh, praying, and there's been this famine in the land for a long, long time. No rain, and, and so the economy has just kind of been devastated by that, and there's been no rain, and the Lord begins to tell Elijah, rain is coming. So he looks at his servant, and he says, hey, can you go out to that cliff and just look and see if you see any rain clouds in the sky? Servant comes back, I don't see anything. He goes, okay, he prays some more. He says, okay, go again. And this time the servant comes back and he goes, there's this little baby cloud out there. It's like nothing, but it's there and I haven't seen a cloud in a long, long time. And so he, he says, okay, I need you to go to the king and tell him rain is coming. And this is significant. I'll try to tie it back all, all together here in a moment. But um, he says, go and tell the king that rain is coming. And then the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came on him and he ran ahead of his servant. Like he, like a marathon, like just starts running. Like, I don't, I don't know how many miles, I believe it says there in the text, but he runs a significant amount of miles. He gets there, and then the queen finds out that he had done battle against the 450 prophets and defeated them, and she threatens his life. She goes, I heard what you did, and I'm going to do something about it. And at this moment, we find Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, and he is smoked. He is absolutely wiped out, and the Bible tells us this. We'll put it up on the screen. In uh, verse 4 of chapter 19, while he went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He's at his wit's end here, and he's just done. He's, I, you know, you're, I read between the lines a little bit, but he's basically saying, if this, what it look, if this is what it looks like to serve and follow you, I'm not interested anymore. E- even though he's had these massive victories, there's a weightiness to it that I think is just bearing down on his soul. And so he is absolutely smoked, and, and he just kind of comes to the end of himself, and he goes, I- I'm done here, Lord. I'm done here. Now, the Lord ministers to him, but notice what the Lord does. An angel comes, and the, 
So the angel doesn't come and go, okay, I'm going to give you a little pep talk here, dude. You're doing a great job. I'm so proud of you. You've been faithful in all these different ways. Keep up the good work. Just, you know, stay the course. You can do this. You've got this. I'll help you. No, what does the angel of the Lord do? The angel of the Lord helps him to pursue eating and sleeping. That's how the Lord ministers to him in that moment. The angel comes and says, look what you need, dude. You need a nap. Uh, you're smoked, and then you need to eat some food, and then we'll have another talk. And it actually happens twice. Um, verse 5, he laid down under the bush, and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Another nap. Two naps now and a hot meal. And then it happens again. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for your journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So the Lord looks at his servant and his utter exhaustion, and he says, what you need to do is you need to rest. You need to eat some food. You need to drink some water. You need to take these naps. That's significant stuff. Now, there's a reason why I believe he was so smoked. And, and let's, let's just think about this briefly. But there was a spiritual weight to going into conflict, into a spiritual battle with 450 other individuals. I think that's a big deal. I think it took tremendous faith on his part. I think he understood that the stakes were very high. And he was trying to convince a people, a divided people, who, were, who had a divided allegiance between Baal and Yahweh, and he was trying to convince them, no, if God is real, you need to worship and serve him and him alone. There was a weight, there was a gravity to that. And then that famine incident and the rain cloud, he was the one that God said, pray that the heavens would close and there will be a drought. And so there's something that's been going on now for months on end that, that is difficult for everybody. No food, no water, things are running out. The, the economy is, is torched, like it's just devastated by these realities. It's not just that the stock market is doing poorly, it crashed. And he's now praying, he's the one who prayed for it to happen in the first place, and now he's having to pray again that the heavens would open and rain would come. And I think there's a weight to that. There's a weight to standing alone and saying something on behalf of God that is hard for people. And he does that, and he gets done with it, and tells his servant to go, and then what does he do? He runs. If I ran 20 miles today, you better believe I'd be smoked. I mean, I'd be wiped out too, but he runs, and then he gets to his destination, and he's just, he's just tired. And then when, when threats start coming his way, when criticism starts coming his way, it doesn't matter that he's had these spiritual victories in, in the rearview mirror. That's overwhelming. And that's a crazy reality. You might be serving the Lord. You might be doing a really great job. But when you get to the point where you're just exhausted, the smallest things can set you off. And uh, I, I was looking at my, my uh, prayer notebook not too long ago, and I was recognizing this pattern in my own life where there was a Sunday where many of you came up to me after the service. You talked about how, how the Holy Spirit had said something directly to you. And I noted that down. I was like, that's amazing. Thank you, Lord. And then the next day, something happened. I don't remember exactly what it was. Something happened between the Sunday morning and that Monday. And so the next, that Monday morning, I'm writing, 
am I even good at this? Like, is this even a calling I should be in? Like that self-doubt, that, that concern. And that's just a reality that sometimes you get so tired and so off track. And God is saying, okay, what you need, not necessarily more time in prayer, not necessarily a Bible study, not necessarily some other spiritual activity. Sometimes God can look at us and say, hey, the most important thing for you right now, you need to take a nap. You need to drink some water, you need to eat something healthy, and you need to park it because you are not indispensable. And if you keep going at this pace, you are going to burn out. Obviously, work hard. That's a calling that I've been underlining here last week and this week as well. But when you get to that point where you say, I have done my job, sometimes God looks at you and says, okay, now it's time to rest. God cares about our physical embodied reality. So we need to be a people who rest well. Now, let's think through a couple of applications on this front. The first off is, I do think sleeping well is important. Ash and I, it was yesterday, we were talking about this. We, we were like, why do we continue to stay up so late? Like this week, we've just kind of, you know, been staying up way too late, getting up early, going about our work, but both of us have been pretty, pretty smoked by just not paying attention to that stuff. Like, yeah, there, there are shows that we can watch on Netflix that'll keep us up as long as we want to do that. But is that wise? We need to be a people who are willing to sleep well. So you think through, how can I, how can I arrange my life so that I might get a solid night's rest? Another thing that we might consider doing is napping. I know this is weird, like, oh, I didn't come to church to hear about naps, but um, here we are. Uh, I do not like naps. Like, I never really got into them. I felt, you know, like it was a waste of time, and then I'd wake up feeling groggy, and it kind of messed with my sleep cycle. Na I've come to love naps. I really have. And uh, one, of the, one of the heroes of the faith for me is a guy named John Stott. He's deceased now, but when I was reading his biography, something jumped out at me that I was like, are you, is this real? Like, is this just hyperbole? But he was an Anglican minister in Europe, and what the biographer noted was that during his work week, every day after lunch, he would take a nap. I was like, I don't know about that, dude. Like, just, you know, retreating for half an hour and taking a nap. And I was like, that just sounds lazy, right? Like, are you serious? Like, taking a nap every, every workday. And then I thought about his industry. Like, I thought about how industrious the dude was. He was not a slouch. Like, he created, uh, he was a part of the founding of a couple of very significant Christian ministries, like the Langham Partnership for Preaching, where they train indigenous pastors. He was a full-time pastor at his local church that he served. Um, he published over 50 books in his lifetime. He helped uh, Billy Graham found a missionary organization uh, called the Luzanne Movement. He was, he was incredibly industrious, but he had a habit in his life where he would, during a workday, take a break, and he'd go lay down and rest. And that resulted in his greater industry. I've started napping on Sundays. I get done here, and I'm like, okay, guys, I'm, I'm pretty spent, and I'm happy to go and rest. But we need to think about sleeping well and taking advantage of naps and having kind of a weekly rhythm that acknowledges working hard, but then taking time off as well, just like the Bible describes in terms of the Sabbath. And we're not going to be legalistic about this stuff. We're just going to be honest that this is how God built the world. 
This is how I'm made. This is a limitation that's on me, and I'm going to acknowledge that, and I'm going to embrace it. We also need to learn to retreat. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, come away with me to a solitary place and get some rest. And some of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do that. That's my vacation. And I would say, uh, is it? Is your vacation really a retreat? Or is it just more activity in a different location? Because some of our vacations are so jam-packed that we get done with them, and what do we say? I need a vacation from my vacation. I'm so tired having done that that now I need to find other margin in my life to rest. We need to figure out how can we retreat from work so that we might spend time with the Lord. Anyways, the first point then is that the Lord knows that we are physical people who need to eat well and sleep well. The second thing, though, this is really significant. The second thing that we need to notice from Mark chapter 6 is sometimes resting is elusive. Sometimes as much as you would love to take a nap or lay down or get a solid night's rest, sometimes it's just not even a possibility. Look at what happens in verse 33. They had set off in the boat, but then in verse 33, many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They saw them pushing out in the boat, pushing back from the dock, and they go, I bet I know where they're going. And they ran to the other side of the lake to meet them there. They were, they were on a retreat, but when they land, people are there. Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So they go away with the Lord on a boat, which by the way, being on a boat is a pretty good place to rest. Harrison can attest to that. We were on a pontoon not long ago. The sun, the wind from the water, the water lapping up on the boat, he's out, and some of the other nephews were too. But they get on a boat, they take a retreat, but when they get there, there's people. And Jesus doesn't go, hey guys, you're spoiling our retreat. Like, we're trying to break here. I need you guys to kind of disperse so we can be alone. No, no, no. He looks on them, and his compassion leads him to care for them in that moment. In other words, while the Lord knows we need rest, there are certain things that are even more important than our resting. He looks at people and he goes, you guys are like sheep without a shepherd, and I'm going to care for you here. So we need to pursue rest, but we should not be rigid about it because there's certainly seasons or moments or experiences where we won't be able to rest by taking a nap or getting a good night's sleep or even eating healthy. There are going to be moments where the only way that we could get the rest that we need is to look to him. And that's really the point of Mark chapter 6. It's, it's this uh, experience where the Lord is tending to their physical needs, but then he's going to meet them at a much deeper level. This is, if you look at the, the titling in your Bible, it's the feeding of the 5,000. It's him supernaturally offering an entire crowd the rest and the satisfaction that they need. Let's look at verses 35 and 36. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. They're basically saying, huh, the Lord just did this for us. We were so busy we didn't eat, and he said, hey, let's go get some food, and here we are. Now there's a whole crowd. I think we should send them away. We're going to be like Christ here. We're going to we're going to help these people get what they need. And he says, well, I've got this one. So what do we have around here? What kind of food are we working with? And they say, well, we've got some loaves of bread and some fish. 
we've got five loaves and two fish. And he says, that's perfect. And he begins breaking, he tells the disciples to take and disperse of the food. And they're breaking bread and they're dispersing of the fish. And then the Bible tells us how many people were served that day. 5,000 men. So a crowd of well over 5,000 is being fed that day. And then the aftermath of it is the disciples go around and they pick up the leftovers. They get doggy bags and they get to put stuff in there and they get 12 basketfuls of leftover bread and fish. What is the Lord doing there? What is he teaching them there? He's showing them that as important as physical rest is, there are going to be moments where he is the only one who can give us what we truly need. And he's fully capable of it. There are going to be moments where we need to rest, but, the, but rest is going to be elusive for a variety of different reasons. For instance, a member from our church dealt with a bout of insomnia. And I could sit up here and be like, it's a very good idea to sleep eight hours. And they could go, yes, I would love that. I would love to sleep eight I'd love to sleep two hours in a row. There are moments in life where there is a physical limitation that prevents you from getting rest. In those moments, as important as rest is, we need to learn to look to the Lord. There are individuals in our church who experience a tremendous amount of anxiety. And so the restfulness that might be normal for some of us is, is elusive for them. They go to lay down and to sleep and the pressures of life and the anxieties spill out of them and they cannot sleep. In those moments, we need to learn that the Lord alone can satisfy us with all that we need in him. There are members of our church who deal with chronic pain. And they lay down in a bed, and there is no way to get comfortable enough to sleep through a whole night. And in those moments, if I were simply to stand up here and go, you need to sleep better, that would be an insult. We need to learn to look to the Lord because he alone can satisfy us with the deepest needs of our physical bodies and also our spirituality as well. Matthew 11, and we'll close here. Matthew 11, it's become very dear to me. This is the word of the Lord himself. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord is inviting us to be a people who, who recognize the significance of being embodied people who need to eat well and sleep well, but also we acknowledge Sometimes that eating well and that sleeping well are going to be elusive. Nonetheless, we're going to look to the Lord, and we're going to trust that he can give us exactly what we need. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so, so much for your comprehensive care of us. You care not only that we grow and develop spiritually, but you care about our physical bodies. And you give us wisdom for how to take better care of those physical bodies. And you remind us of the limitations that we have and why that is a grace. Why we need to continually remind ourselves that we can take a break and you're still in charge. And that can give us greater confidence in you. Lord, we pray that in those moments where the needs crowd out our ability to rest, that we would look to you and that you would satisfy Help us to come to you and experience rest. We pray in your name. Amen.